0: Uh, It's time for the Tactics Meeting. I'm your host, Dan Smiley, and here on the podcast, we talk about response tactics and technology, and I'm excited to have Brian McDonald from the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Brian, I've worked with you in drills for years now and have been remiss at getting you on the podcast to talk about wildlife response and your experience as the wildlife branch director welcome to the program
1: thanks Dan appreciate it so
0: yeah it's going to be it's going to be great um you were down with us at the uh, communications workshop in Portland a few weeks ago where we spent Mm -hmm. a pretty good amount of time talking about wildlife response and messaging during wild rice response what did you get anything out of that
1: I I did uh just part of uh I think what I got was the just how passionate the communicators are in trying to get the right information out, and that was that was a really nice observation for me to make and to realize that you know we're all trying to help each other out there, and, and we've all got jobs to do, and making sure that we get the right information to those people to get it distributed out properly is is a really important thing to do.
0: So Brian, you've been with Department of Fish and Wildlife for a long time and in the Washington or on the Northwest Area Contingency Plan, it really hands the ball for wildlife response over to a fish and wildlife. You or one of your colleagues would most likely be the branch director for the wildlife branch. And so today I was hoping we might talk about what, what you felt like the role of that branch director was. We've had uh, Focus Wildlife and International Bird Rescue, both uh, well-respected um, organizations come on and talk about wildlife capture and rehabilitation. But the management of wildlife response is a whole other topic. So what do you see as the primary responsibilities of the wildlife branch director?
1: I think the primary responsibility is to serve as the interface between the incident command and those wildlife contractors to to make sure that they're getting the resources that they need to make sure that the, the, the unified command is getting the information back that they, they require uh, really to fill that administrative role that, that kind of connects the two together. Those organizations are uh, do wonderful work. Um, I see our responsibility as being able to provide the resources they need to do that work and to focus on that.
0: Can you give me an example of what some of those resources might be? Like do you deal with uh permit waivers or that kind of thing?
1: We can. Uh we, you know, we act as the interface with US Fish and Wildlife Service to make sure they're in the loop uh, in Washington state like as you said that the authority has been delegated to Washington Fish and Wildlife from US Fish and Wildlife Service to, to act in their, in their stead. We make sure that they have the supplies they need, the equipment that's required, uh, making sure that we're going through that in, that process to make sure that, that all the expenses are covered and that kind of thing. Making sure that the, the paperwork is handled so that it gets built properly through the, through the response. Uh, so that if um, if we're ordering one of the response trailers, for example, I'm dealing with the paperwork that's required to make sure that that, that equipment gets moved to the proper location, that it gets billed to the proper vendor, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's
0: the administration kind of behind it. Would you uh, see yourself as, or the branch director, as the person who would... Uh, speak on behalf of wildlife response, say, at a press conference, or would you help draft uh, messaging to include in a press release?
1: Of course, you know that's that's certainly another another part of our duties in that that role. Uh, we represent the 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 main trustee in this case, which is fish and wildlife uh, Washington Fish and Wildlife, and speaking on behalf of the entire wildlife response process. Um, again, to to act in the, I guess, our trust responsibility as an agency to sort of take on that role and to be that face during a response.
0: Uh, yeah, I was reading, um, I don't know if you've read this book, Scott Knudsen uh, turned me on to it, uh, Nistuka, uh A Spill Turns Creative. I a, been, no, no it's about the uh, Nastucca barge spill. This predates uh, Exxon Valdez by a little bit. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah, off the coast of Grays Harbor, and some of the biggest impacts were uh, state park lands, forest service uh, lands. Under those kind of circumstances, where the biggest uh, impact is, say, the uh, Washington State Parks Department, would they be brought into the wildlife branch or would they be brought in at? at some other level. Would you include these other trustees in the branch?
1: They certainly would be welcome to to participate. Um, I would suspect that their primary connection would be through the environmental unit and, and serving as a trustee there to helping to identify resources or risk in general. The, uh, the wildlife branch is more uh, sort of the practical aspects of, of wildlife impacts and dealing with the the, the process of trying to recover and then rehabilitate those animals. So it's not, it, it's very focused on the wildlife side of things.
0: What are some of the other positions that would be staffed in the command post within the within the branch?
1: So besides the branch director, there's a deputy, there's typically a liaison role that, that serves as the, uh, to, to help sort of coordinate with, with the other sections in the response. Um, We'll often have a documentation person. Um, it it just really varies. And It depends on the incident itself, where we're where we're needed. Um, we also will typically have a representative of the wildlife contractor uh, to make sure that you know we they're the ones doing the the interaction between um, the branch and their their personnel in the in the field or at, in their rehabilitation center. And we'll also typically have a uh, representative of the responsible party uh, to to be engaged and to to see how how we're doing things
0: and get them to sign the 213 rrs well usually
1: <laughs> <laughs> usually that goes up to the ops chief but
0: yes okay. somebody's got somebody's got to authorize the funds that's right? right so what do you see as maybe the biggest challenge in wildlife response is it is it remote locations? Is it the sighting of a rehabilitation center? What do you think?
1: Well, I, th- I think it can it certainly can vary between incidents. Um, one of the the big challenges we face is just making is, is trying to get across the point that the the wildlife response moves at a different pace than the rest of the incident uh, response. It's it usually takes longer to ramp up, and then it will persist for much typically much longer than than the rest of the cleanup activity, um so in those early days when um the rest of the operations section is you know spreading you know putting out boom and running skimmers, and you know that sort of thing, we're typically just acquiring resources, getting the equipment set up, getting the rehab center established, um, but then it may go on for weeks or months after everybody else has gone home uh because you'll still have wildlife in care. Uh, going through the rehabilitation process the the actual siting of the of the centers anymore really isn't quite as much of an issue as it had been historically we've got a lot more equipment much of it mobile now that can be be set up uh, as we need to and, it, and it's easier to find locations to do that uh we've we've actually pre-vetted a number of locations around the state you know, where there is uh, adequate water and power uh, support uh, facilities for personnel, that kind of thing. So that really isn't as much of a, a limiting factor as it used to be.
0: There is a philosophy that I I agree with that siting the actual rehabilitation center uh, really should be out of the spill zone, somewhere where you're not competing with other responders for for housing, for supplies, and and whatnot, how, uh, you know, rather than than having the location you know right there next to the command post or something like that. What are your thoughts?
1: I agree with that. Um, the, the the limiting factor for the rehabilitation center isn't so much the the for the animals; it's for the personnel support. You know, if you, if you've got a large incident, you can have uh, potentially hundreds of of workers within that facility and in a remote location that can put quite a strain on the the local resources especially if we're competing with with the cleanup uh, activity and workers that are that are going to have to be there on location it's in that case it's much easier to move the animals than it is to move the people so we'll tend to focus on setting up where we have the infrastructure to support a larger rehab center Um, To sort of help offset, that, we'll we'll typically set up what are known as stabilization units uh, in those more remote sessions spaces that are focused on uh, kind of doing the immediate first aid that might be necessary. um, Doing some gross cleaning of animals, uh, feeding them, getting them warmed up, hydrated uh, to help sort of stabilize them and then um, move them back to the rehab center as we're able to. So they
0: might be in stabilization for two, three days before you'd feel like they were healthy enough to, to transport would that would that be the case?
1: Uh, it's probably going to be much shorter than that. You know, we would probably be, be moving them out of the stabilization trailer within a day, certainly. Um, and we'll, we'll set up regular transport runs between that those facilities and the rehabilitation center. But it, it it helps to kind of get the immediate needs of the animals met before we move them back to the center where we've, we've got more access to, to resources to support the overall
0: effort. So we have independent contractors like International Bird Rescue or Focus Wildlife, but Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife also owns some rehabilitation equipment, correct?
1: We do. Um, It it, most of it dates from um, quite a while ago. Uh, I think we, I think the trailer that we currently have, we acquired in 2002, uh, before a lot of this other infrastructure was in place, and it, to a certain extent, became redundant once once industry started funding the acquisition of of these mobile facilities that we currently have. The the way that we now envision using the state resources is more of, a, of an additional uh, field command post or a, an extra stabilization trailer if it's necessary. You know, it's, it's an, an additional asset to use uh, should the need arise, but it's, it's not part of the, the planning standard that currently exists.
0: Yeah, we don't we don't list it in our equipment cache. But how would we get a hold of it? Would Would the wildlife branch director call it out? Would ecology call it out? How do How do we get that resource?
1: Well, it's currently listed in the world. Uh, the, uh, you'll have to help me on it.
0: Worldwide, Worldwide response resource. resource list. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Yeah, appreciate it. So it's available for, for being called out. Uh, typically the wildlife branch director would order that as a part of the other resources that might be mobilized during a, a wildlife response. Um, I should probably also mention that, that one of the other ways that we we envision using this is, would be in the case of a say a large outer coast spill where we might have something uh, some, some sort of an impact to the sea otter population that we don't currently have a lot of resources for. Uh, it might be something that we could use for that kind of a response to help keep the kind of the birds and marine mammals situations separated uh, because they obviously
0: require much different care. So uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife has got a really cool airboat that you guys were driving out at Grace Harbor during the large-scale equipment deployment. You you were out there for that, were you not? I was, yes. I didn't get to see the airboat really taken off. Tell Tell me about the recon that you guys were exercising during the large-scale equipment deployment.
1: So part of one of the ideas that's been been kicked around for quite some time is the possibility of using airboats to do wildlife reconnaissance, uh, wildlife assessment uh, during spills in areas of of particularly shallow water, such as uh, the bays on the outer coast, Grays Harbor and, and Willapa Bay. And those sorts of places. Um, so the the idea came about to try to to mobilize one of those airboats that the agency has, put some of our wildlife contractors on there, and and take them out and just see what we could do with it. You know, get their thoughts about how uh, how useful that kind of a platform might be. And how and did you it feel it turned out? Su- Was it successful? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly a, a a very niche tool. Um, But for those kinds of environments, I think it could be potentially really useful uh, to get out, be able to see uh, things that you might not be able to access otherwise, to be able to put people on the ground in in very shallow areas um, where you might not be able to get to with a conventional prop driven boat. Um, They are loud, so it's certainly something that you'd you'd have to take into account. But uh, I think they would definitely have their place.
0: Is that something fish and wildlife would uh would mobilize for on their own in the early stages of a response? Or would you wait until there was a wildlife branch stood up and then order the resource?
1: We would mobilize that through the branch. Um, you know, one of the we, we don't really have the the resources to get out there in front of things like that. Um and we, we don't really want to be self-deploying. We wanna be able to to work from within the the incident command system. For, for any kind of an, a spill response.
0: How many of those boats do you have?
1: I think we currently have three in total, but the the one in particular that was of interest is one that was acquired a few years ago uh, by Fish and Wildlife under the, the Ecology Equipment Grant. Um, and that, that part of the justification for that was the potential use of, of it during spill response. And that was that was, Essentially what we were demonstrating during the equipment drill is the ability to to put wildlife contractors in those areas.
0: No, that's great. That initial recall, I mean that's part of the new regulation that we had to update all of our all of our plans to to cover. Right. And you know, getting getting initial incident commanders and qualified individuals to recognize the need to quickly mobilize equipment to support the wildlife contractor in conducting that uh, the recon to begin to plan for capture is really important. I've worked with uh, my response contractors and kind of set aside a thing that says, hey, we're gonna need this other, this other initial task force of vessels and a helicopter totally to support the wildlife branch. Wow. Okay. That's, that's wonderful. (laughs) Well, it's a big, you know, wildlife rehabilitation, you know, is a thing that stands out to the public. It's a thing that, that the public really cares about. I mean, generally oil spills are not injuring people, right? People aren't out there swimming around in the oil. They have a way of getting away from it in their boats and cars, but not birds, not otters, not seals, not whatever. Right? They are on their own. Right.
1: right. Well, and that's always been the case, but it hasn't always been reflected in the in the drills and and responses that we've seen over the years. I mean, there's been quite a, a paradigm shift, I think, in that regard. So it's that's one of the the positive things that I've seen come about over these years. Uh, quite a change in that perspective.
0: Well, it's that it's that oil pelican that makes it to the front page every time there's an oil spill, right? Yeah. Whether the oil spill is in in uh Houston or Long Beach or Seattle or Valdez that pelican gets around. It does. These are great, you know, plans. One of my uh and I use this line in every training that I do, but I, I like it, it's from uh, Dwight Eisenhower, who said, the plan is nothing, to plan is everything, just the act of, of planning. And I kind of think that conversations like this are part of that act of planning. It's, you know, discussing how we're going to respond. And then we share this information with, you know, people who might not have an opportunity to talk to a wildlife branch director in in person. Right now we sure. get a, li- a little different perspective on how we go about dealing with that particular part of the response. Jenny, Focus wildlife made this a pet peeve of mine, but it's become a pet peeve that we so often just focus on birds in drills. Like, hey, we're exercising wildlife, but birds only. Why? Why is that what we do? I mean, what is the? What is the? Complication of exercising mammals in a tabletop exercise.
1: Well, I think I think part of it is that it it it, it dates back or it goes back to the idea that historically birds have been the, the 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 types of animals that have been most impacted or at least most visibly impacted in responses. As you say, they're the ones that end up on the on the front page. Um, you know, a You know impacted tens of thousands of seabirds um it's numerically it's it's been what what the focus has been about you know it's been the most obvious and because of that most of the planning standards were originally developed around birds um, because that was the the most difficult lift for everybody was to say okay we're just going to focus on the primary uh, species type here and so when you look at the Northwest Area Plan, you're gonna see a lot of references to, to oiled birds and the the resources that are necessary to pull together for, for an adequate response. And I think that's part of the challenge is that it took such a lift and, you know, it's a remarkable effort by all, many parties to, to make it happen, to get the equipment in place that currently exists within the Northwest that there's a tendency to just allow that to be the main focus, I guess, uh, when you're talking about different species, because they numerically are typically going to be less than those, the, the numbers of birds potentially that would be impacted. And I think the, the assumption, and, and rightly so, is that you, you'll be able to adapt to other species types uh, for the most part if you need to. If, and if you've got that larger uh, equipment and resource list in place, that's available to these these wildlife contractors. It's going to be a more manageable response for them. If if say they start getting uh, aquatic mammals in, it, that they'll be able to adjust as they need to to deal with um, mink or otter or you know beaver, you know those sorts of, of animals that. Uh, we're not going to be seeing hundreds of them, most likely, but but it's still part of the response and it's still something that we need to kind of give some thought to. How would we deal with amphibians or, you know, mammals or I- I- any other number of species?
0: And Jenny had a great story about a response that was taken, uh, that happened in Canada where they had recovered. Uh, a number of beavers and generally they build these pens even for mammals using plywood but guess what beavers chew through plywood so how do you how do you house them and and they don't like each other they uh apparently they're you can't put them all in the same pen so they ended up going out and getting uh, metal horse trailers as the as the housing and uh, each beaver got its own little uh, trailer condo.
1: The wildlife contractors that I know are certainly some of the most creative people that I've ever met. You know, being able to problem solve and come up with ways to adjust on the fly is, is
0: certainly a part of their makeup, I think. That's why they need to be as close to major hardware stores as possible, right? You walk <laughs> in, it's like, all right, here's my problem. What, what can I use to solve this? I'll exactly. take... Cool. I'll take all that PVC pipe over there. I need all the garden hoses. I'll take all those bins right there. Let's bring yeah. one out. So should we be exercising something differently? Is, is focusing on mobilization for birds uh, in, enough? Or if, if you could be the drill design god for the day, uh, what what would you change about how we exercise wildlife and worst case, tabletop exercises?
1: um i guess i'd like to see us go uh, a bit deeper into the process in in some ways i mean we've gotten i feel like we've gotten pretty good at, at working the say that day one exercise um you know getting getting the initial resources ordered getting the the right people mobilized but then um moving beyond that, you know, starting to, 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 to deal with, um, more wildlife assessments, more, um, personnel issues, more transportation issues, you know, those sorts of things that I think will, I, I'm, I'm confident that we could adjust to, or that we could deal with now, but we really haven't gotten to the point where we're drilling it as much. And, but that's said, I also know that the drills are, they're not designed necessarily for that. It's 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 the larger picture that we're looking at here. We're trying to test um, the ability of a, of a plan holder to implement their contingency plan, and you know that that's a much broader plan than just wildlife. And so there 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 has to be a certain amount of um, give and take in that in that system. I think to to make sure that we've we've got an adequate level of confidence that they're gonna be able to, to implement the plan that's been approved by by the Department of Ecology. And it will support the resources and personnel that we need to move forward in the case of a large release.
0: Yeah, we typically exercise day one or maybe day one and day two, but it's really difficult to say, hey, we're gonna do a one day drill and we're gonna exercise day three because then the drill design team has to script everything that's happened in day one and day two create a common operating picture that captures all of that information develop the previous day's incident action plan as a place to kick off and that that is a lot of work
1: it really is yeah so i mean i think we so i think we can criticize or, or lament not being able to test certain things and, and we do it all the time but i do think that um if we're if we're doing well in those early stages we're going to set ourselves up for success moving moving down the road if, if we ever need to get you know to that point um, you know by by getting better at what we're doing now i think it's it's just it's always going to be helpful to us getting more efficient getting getting more awareness developing more you know better habits of communication you know, i think all these things are really important
0: in In a real event, you think we can get a wildlife branch stood up uh effectively on on day one I mean certainly we're gonna activate our wildlife response contractors and try to get them into the field to start the recon process but w- what is available staffing coming out of fish and wildlife to staff the wildlife branch well i'm i'm,
1: I'm absolutely confident that we can get one stood up um the, you know we we've got certainly a small team here but you know we're pretty comfortable with with the process, you know starting that um that interaction with the the commands of the of the response uh, initiating the 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 field activities of the of the wildlife contractors uh, getting the equipment ordered you know finding the the appropriate location for a rehab center starting the assembly of that so uh, i think we're we're actually in pretty good shape there
0: so brian and kind of uh in wrapping up what do you think uh you'd like the listeners to really know about where we're at with wildlife response as opposed to maybe where we were at the time of open 90
1: well i think the the biggest thing um for me is that We've come a long way. Not that it wasn't on people's radar, but but the it was really difficult to sort of integrate the wildlife response with with an with an oil spill response, quite frankly. I mean it was always sort of a an an add-on to it. And in the years that have gone by, I guess we've become much better at integrating it into a wildlife or into the overall spill response, making it a fixed part of the of the command post. And industry has been incredibly supportive, uh, providing the equipment and the resources, the personnel that that are needed to to implement an effective wildlife response, and and for that I'm really grateful.
0: Well, we'll be leaning on your expertise if, God forbid, we have to stand up the wildlife branch in earnest. Brian McDonald, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, thank you so much for coming on the program thanks for your free time. Appreciate it. Hey, I wanted to let you know about an ICS 300 level class that we're going to be teaching. By we, I mean Gallagher Marine Systems and Clean Rivers Cooperative in Portland, Oregon, November 8th, 9th, and 10th. We have a few seats left at $425 per person. Our lead instructor will be Randy Ashmore. This will be a FEMA certified course. So if you're interested in getting somebody signed up for this course, for some of the seats that are left, go to cleanriverscooperative.com backslash training and you can register there. Clean Rivers Cooperative's website and you can register